Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brethren. 
Mackenzie Powder. I understand there was a lot, and that was a big reading. And at first, I remember reading this and thinking, oh, okay. So now we have this big passage here that all goes together. Paul is, is, is remembering, he's instructing Timothy, and he's giving him all these things on how to organize church and how to organize and the structure of authority. And then he goes into this thing about elders and, and, and widows, a ton about widows, and even a little bit about slavery. And it's difficult for us sometimes in, in modern context to understand these things. Um, I know there are a few widows in the church, but not enough to warrant, you know, this great instruction on, on widows under 16 who should be enrolled into the church care and who shouldn't in, in these sorts of things, nor do we deal with slavery today. And so how do we take this section and apply it to our lives today? Well, like I said, I think this section all goes together. And, and, and as we look at it, I think we'll see that. Much of it is rather self-explanatory. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that was a lot of reading, I understand. But, but, but much of it was pretty clear, right? And so we're just going to go through it, and then I'm going to share with you an insight I had a couple of days ago um, that I've never had before while reading Timothy, and, and, and it kind of excited me. So first, verses 1 to 8. Verses 1 to 8 go through, and he, he, he gives some good basic rules, doesn't he? He says, you know, don't rebuke older people harshly. Treat younger people as siblings. You know, it, it, it's great advice kind of for all of us, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. You know, like give widows help and make sure people are taking care of their families. You know, this was for the benefit of the families individually as well as the benefit of the church. If everyone was coming to the church for help and for money and for all the things they needed instead of their family, then the church wouldn't have the option and the ability to help. And so he says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, have her go to them first. That they might care for her. That family might come around and help these people in need. And again, he focuses, Paul focuses on the emphasis of it is our good deeds and holy living that define us. In verse 10, these women, these widows, should be known for their good deeds, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, and helping those in trouble. Yet it seems, as we continue through the book of Timothy, that these women in Ephesus, <laughs> forgive me, women, but they were troublemakers. Paul continues to harp on this issue that, that we need to be careful about those who are taking advantage of the church. He says, in some ways, listen, if, if a woman is a widow and she needs help, have her go to her family first. Because her family ought to care for her, her family ought to bring her in, that is good. Let them figure it out. He, he's telling these, these families, hey, if you want to have a healthy church, if you want to have a well-balanced church here, one of the things we ought to do is let families support and care for each other. First, if a widow needs help, have her go to her children and grandchildren. Likewise for the elderly. And while this may seem like a specific detail for church widows, the truth is it's, it's kind of for all of us. This is a detail that we can carry out for all of our lives. You know, when it comes to spiritual relations, I don't know about you guys, but family is one of the ways I'm challenged the most. Not just my immediate family, well, it's very easy for me to love my wife. It's not so easy for me to love my extended family. It's not so easy. We, we were actually joking recently about how kind of breaking our family, now that we live in Europe, how long would we allow people to stay here for free? Right? How much do we... And so we actually kind of went through it and we're naming it. Sounds awful now that I say it out loud, but we were going through it and we said, you know, this person, yeah, I just love this cousin so much. He's like a little brother 
so maybe he could stay six months and I would never ask him to leave. Another cousin, two weeks, maybe three if he was really in a bind. And I was thinking about this with this passage and I'm thinking, man, what was happening in Ephesus so long ago is that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, make sure your families are caring for themselves. Make sure the people in the church are caring for one another. You know, because we as a church, and and this is something that will come up as we talk about the big picture of this passage, we can't do everything for everybody. Many of us learn this rule in our own lives. And Paul even goes so far, if you look to say that those who don't take care of their families are worse than an unbeliever. Essentially saying, hey, listen, anyone who claims to have faith and claims to know Christ and does not love their families doesn't really work. Now, of course, I just want to make a little mention here because this is not an absolute rule or a blanket statement. Some of us come from difficult families and some of us come from situations where it wouldn't be healthy or it wouldn't be prudent to give without any sort of you know, regard for our family. But in general, this is a good thing to practice. And then he goes on in verse 9 with more rules about widows. He keeps going. It seems to me and I was doing some reading on this and some study, and the hard part is with studying the Bible is no one exactly knows. You know, you read all these different things and it says all these different elements, and you know, and, and no one exactly knows what the church was, was really like. But it seems that there was a large number of widows, so much so that they had some sort of ministry where the church, where these women needed help, the church would, whether it was some sort of something like an abbey where they lived in the church and they cared for all their needs and the women did the ministry there, whatever the, whatever it was, there was so much need that these women were being enrolled under the care of the church. But if a woman was, was too young, it seems that there were a number who would take advantage, who would take advantage of the church's generosity, would take advantage of the church bringing them in, and they would sort of change their mind and say, oh, never mind, I'm going to go back out and do something else, or I'm going to go and, as it says, go door to door, become an idler and a gossip and a busybody, rather than the calling to serve others. And so we see here that it's a great practice to be caring for those people. But that seemingly, like, since the first century, people haven't taken advantage. People with an impure heart, people with desire for selfish gain, were taking advantage. seems that nothing's really changed from today. Just a week or so ago, we heard a story that was so frustrating about people taking advantage of missionaries and saying one thing about persecution and saying they were persecuted and everything, but really what they were doing was they, they're not persecuted, they were going to authorities and, 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 and flaunting that they were Christians and saying all these different things and then hiding cameras to get these pictures and images to, they could send to the West to say, look how persecuted we are. Really they were picking a fight with the authorities instead of living a peaceful life, like Paul said to do in chapter 1. They were picking a fight with these authorities to try and get the money to the West to send them more and more money. Now, this doesn't happen all the time, but many of us are familiar that when a church is generous, there are those who would take advantage. This seems to be what's happening here. The last church I worked at had this big food pantry. And people would come and say, I know I'm not a member of your church, but I'm just so hungry, and, 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 and I just need to feed my children. Could you just help? Could you just help? And I'd say, you know what, I'd love to help. And so we'd go down to the food pantry and open it up, and I would offer, I'd say, you know, we have these cereals here, and we have this, and, and you know, we'd 
trying to keep healthier foods in there. And I remember just a big box of Cheerios, just a huge box of Cheerios, thinking this would be great. Your kids probably want cereal. And the parent looks at me and says, do you have any Lucky Charms? <laughs> and I just thought, really? You go through and you ask for help, and then you go and turn the other way and say, well, can you give me a little more? Can you just do a little bit more for me? seems that this is what's happening here. The Christians were charitable and people saw what they take advantage of Ephesus. And, and, and I realize as I'm reading this and as we continue to go through this passage that I wanted to say this because some people perceive Christians as doormats. Some people perceive Christians and if I become a Christian then I have to we hear this language of right laying our lives down. But it doesn't mean that we have to be these, these doormats that get walked on all the time and nor is it being overly assertive and like I mentioned with families, caring for families, there needs to be balance. And this is why, I think. If you look at verse 14, Paul is saying these things need to happen for, for a reason. To give the enemy no opportunity for slander. When we carry ourselves as Christians, as a church, in a way that is upright, in a way that is glorifying to God, we don't give the enemy any occasion for slander. We present a unified, healthy image to our community, to our city, to our neighbors, to the glory of God. And one of the things that's so unpopular is talking about the fact that there is, in fact, an enemy. There is, in fact, an enemy who all of these people, all of these people we see around us are just walking, you know, and we sometimes ignore and pretend not to see and we can run around in this person. Walking too slow, and the enemy is fighting for all of these people the same way we pray and that God desires these people. And when we are uneven as Christians, and when we don't present a unified front, but the enemy then gains a foothold. And we've heard stories about this. We've heard stories about churches who are financially very, very corrupt. We've heard stories about churches who take advantage of you as people, and therefore given the opportunity for the enemy to slander the church and to slander the name of God. And so in verse 16, Paul tells the church, he says, do not let the church be burdened. Let families take care of families. Let, let all of these things work their way out. Let, let us be strong and firm with those who need help. But let us also be responsible to the church. It seems to me that this was a very big deal to Paul. He goes through all of these very specific instructions to Timothy. He even goes on to talk about elders and leadership of the church as well as slaves. And he goes on to this kind of harsh passage that I don't really like as a teacher that says that anyone who needs to be ought to be rebuked in public. Anyone who is living in sin, anyone who is living in willful disobedience and saying, no, I don't care that it's wrong, I'm going to keep doing it. He says you should tell those people and you should allow them to go. He tells Timothy to care for the elders. He says don't be too legalistic about the wine. It's kind of a nice passage if you like wine. He says don't be too legalistic. If you need a little wine, just it's okay. If you're under a yoke of slavery, honor your master. Be honest and hardworking. Brief word about this word slavery. Uh, it's not slavery as we think about it today or in um, the colonization of the world. It's, it's actually a bond servitude. The Greek word is, is bond servant. Um, if you're curious about it, um, I'm going to 
encouraging to do a study. We don't have a ton of time. You're going to account. But it's about people who had a debt and people who were working to pay back a debt. So if you're under one of these, if you're a bond servant, if you're under a debt, work hard. Even if your owner's not a very nice guy. Maybe for today, it would say something along the lines of honor your boss. Even he or she is not a very honest person. By honoring those above you, you present a good example. A unified example that gives the enemy no opportunity for slander. So don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Go to each other, lay hands on each other, pray for each other, be unified together. As we read in Galatians chapter, bear one another's burdens a little bit. Go, go, come together in these things. We present a unified image of Christ. Paul even quotes from, from Deuteronomy 25 and Luke chapter 10 to say that the worker deserves his wages. So it doesn't mean that we hold back everything. It doesn't mean that we say, okay, we just have those in church. But we give to those who deserve and we protect the church for the sake of our reputation and for the sake of the fact that there's an enemy out there who would seek to slander us. And I remember looking at this passage thinking, okay, this is clearly for Ephesus. This is clearly for this church. This is so many details about that widow. So many details about these things that I mean, we don't have an army of widows doing service in the church, you know. So what does this mean for us? How do we, how do we take this and run with it? I thought, because Paul is, is pastoring Timothy and he's coaching everyone, and it hit me. Is this a sermon about personal boundaries? Is this a sermon about caring for ourselves so that we can care for others? I think it is. That's why I titled the sermon, Caring and Responsibility. Because I see Paul encouraging young Pastor Timothy to say, hey, be aware of these things. Don't let people take advantage of you, but also be loving and caring to those underneath you. If, if, if we have, as Christians, think about this, if we have, as Christians, taking care of ourselves, if we have a healthy and proper self-care where we have good boundaries and we have good limits with people to give of ourselves in a way that is healthy, as well as the other people. It's a win-win for you, it's, a win it's good for your family, and it's good for the church. And then also put it in context of the letter. This is coming right off of chapter 4 where he's tell telling Timothy to pursue godliness. And so part of godliness, I really believe, is having boundaries and having a proper structure and understanding of life that we can not only care for ourselves, but we can also care for others. Now, I don't know anyone who's ever been to a counselor or anyone who's ever um, been to therapy of any kind, but this is something that inevitably comes up. How are, what are the boundaries we have in our lives so that we can share ourselves and we can be honest with people without giving too much of ourselves or at the expense of our loved ones? Anyone who's ever gotten really involved in ministry knows what this looks like. Whether, whether you're a professional or just a volunteer, I remember my first job as a youth pastor. I thought I had to do all things for everyone and prove myself as the world's best youth pastor. And after a couple of months, I remember thinking, how in the world does anyone do this? I was giving too much of myself. I was giving too much of who I was. And I remember my relationships began to suffer. I remember I couldn't have a healthy relationship with anyone outside of ministry because all my focus was just service, service, service. I have to have people like me. I have to present this front in it. In doing so, I gave the enemy an opportunity to slander because I had no help relationships. Because I was burning myself out. So, 
Paul is telling Timothy to pursue godliness, and this is part of it, I believe. How? How can we do this? How can we train for godliness by, by having boundaries, and how do we take care of ourselves? And I thought of a very simple object lesson that I've done with youth many, many times. Imagine this is you. You have a finite amount of ability. It's just the reality. Some of us have more, some of us have less. But the first priority is family. So you pour it into your family, and you say, family, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to do all these different things. And you say, well, you know what, i got to provide for my family, so I have to work. And I have to work, and I know God is calling me to more, but you know what, God, I don't have time right now. I just have to go. I just have to go. I just have to go. And I realize that I volunteered for this ministry, and I, I committed to it, so I have to go. And so I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go do that. And then you know what? I realize now that there's this group of friends I haven't seen, and there's these people I haven't spent any time with for weeks because I got so busy, and they've asked me to come and do this, and before you know it, you're empty. We give, and we give, and we give of ourselves. But what I believe this passage is saying is, Timothy, it's good to give. It's right to give. It's good to help these widows, but make sure it's not happening at the expense of the church. It is good to give of yourself, but make sure you're not wearing yourself out, because what we need is for God to fill us up but then we can go to these other things and pour out even among them and then come back to God and then go out and do these things over and over again that we can be filled with God. Now, I talk about this all the time because it's something that I struggle with. Um, anyone who's ever read this, this great book, I forget who it's by, my mom made me read it when I was a teenager about boundaries, and I still don't know the lesson. But I was reading this and I just thought, wow, if I personally don't take time to go to God and be filled, there's no way I can serve and help pour out in other people's lives. And when I'm looking at Timothy, Paul is giving them this message to say this is so important. And what's amazing is sometimes Christians will say, okay, so instead of pouring out and, you know, emptying myself, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to pull back and say, okay, God, fill me. God, fill me. God, fill me. And then before you know it, I'm not going to do it because it's the next floor. Before we know it, we have a mess on our hands, and we've realized that we keep going to God thinking we need to have all of our stuff together before we can go out and serve, before we can go out and help people. But the reality is that things happen at the same time. As we go out and serve, God wants us to go back to Him and be filled. And I want to mention one thing about this as, as we wrap up and go into communion tonight. This vessel that God has made to pour out into, into your community, into your job, into your families, into the widows and those in need of the church, is whole. It's whole, and God made it to be used. So if anyone in this room thinks that God can't use you, or that you're a broken vessel, or that you're just not sure that you can pour out to others because of what's happened in your life or the way you feel or the struggles in your heart, I want to tell you that God offers you to be whole and to be filled with His love and His presence. We pursue God to be filled up with His Spirit and with His truth, and we give it to others. It's not about being perfect. It's not about having all of our stuff together. It's about fulfilling our calling and our training for godliness, as Paul was talking about to Timothy here. 
chapter, it's clearly about the needs for emphasis. My question is, to you tonight, is what are the needs for Zurich? What are the needs for Zurich where we need to have a plan and need to know how to deal with the needs of the city? That God would be glorified. What would Paul write to us today in this church? What are the needs for Zurich? Frederick Beekner, one of my uh, favorite writers, is a theologian, and he said this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Let's say that again. The place where God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The world is hungry for God, and we are the vessels that bring them back. And part of that is having boundaries, and part of that is understanding not to be taken advantage of, not to get too much of ourselves. But part of it is also understanding that we must have the desire, and we must have the power through Christ to pour out into others. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion and the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate communion and the Lord's Supper, it is just that. It is Christ coming and pouring himself out that we might go and pour ourselves out unto others. It's why we are here. It's why we gather. And as we go into communion, I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer, and then we'll have a time of passing the peace. But for right now, I want you to think, what is that area that Paul might say to me, hey, make sure you're doing this so that you can make it for the long haul? Make sure you're doing this one thing that you've been neglecting so that you can keep pouring out and so that you don't run out, so that you don't give too much of yourself so that your family suffers or that your ministry suffers. Please join with me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for these people in this room. God, as we go through and study Paul's letter to Timothy, I see here a mentor talking to his disciple about taking care of himself, about balancing his life, about being fair that he might love his family and his flock. And God, today we all ask for the same wisdom and guidance. Lord, show us the place where we need to protect ourselves. God, show us the place where we need to give more of ourselves. And Lord, give us the power to come to you that we would be filled. God, give us the desire in our heart to study your word, to go to you in prayer, to be filled with your spirit, so that we might serve you and present a unified image of your love to this city. But I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the calling you've put on our lives. And I pray that that calling would meet needs of this place. But we thank you for the table. We thank you for communion. We thank you for remembering your sacrifice for us, which gives us the opportunity to serve others. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.